Welcome to the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I am your host, Mireya Perez, and this platform is dedicated to sharing the stories of language professionals, that is, the interpreters and translators from around the world. This show aims to highlight not just the profession, but mainly the people behind the amazing work. These are your stories about our profession, and this is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Liberty Language Services. Liberty Language Services is a woman and minority-owned language service company. They have over a decade of industry experience providing on-site, video remote, and over-the-phone interpretation, translation, and ASL services to public and private sector clients. They're continuously recruiting for freelance interpreters and translators, so make sure to check out their website for new career opportunities. Liberty is passionate about making interpreter education more accessible to everyone. So whether you're new to interpreting or have been interpreting professionally for years, you can take advantage of their online courses, workshops, and CEUs. Their most popular online course is the Professional Medical Interpreter. It's a self-paced, comprehensive, 40-hour medical interpreting course for individuals looking to get qualified to interpret in medical and healthcare settings. Upon completion of the course, students will be able to earn the title of Qualified Medical Interpreter. And for a limited time only, Liberty is offering a discount for the Professional Medical Interpreter course to brand the interpreter listeners. Use the discount code BTI50 when you sign up online for the Professional Medical Interpreter to get $50 off the course. You can find the discount code and more information about Liberty Language Services in the episode notes. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. This is Mireya, your host. And if this is the first time you're tuning in, first and foremost, I just want to say thank you for being here and that I hope you enjoy the episode and that you go through the collection of past episodes. If you're back for another great episode, thank you as always for your support. To those of you that have connected with me via social media, I just want you to know that I appreciate your questions and your beautiful feedback about the podcast. I'm going to take the opportunity to remind you that if you're ever interested in sending me your questions, just connect with me via my website and either send me an email or record your message. I always respond to genuine inquiries. We're already in September, and just in case you don't know, I'll be presenting a series of webinars through ATA's webinar series beginning Thursday, September 9, 2021, kicking off with the topic of identifying your target audience, why niche markets can boost your interpreting business. And this event is going to take place from 12 to 12.45 Eastern Standard Time. These webinars are open to everyone, so head on over to ATA's webinar series webpage and sign up. Also in September, I know it's a busy month. Also in September, I'll be facilitating a language access live panel discussion through Orange County Department of Education's fifth annual interpreters and translators conference. This discussion will take place on September 23rd from 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The topic of that panel is how to ensure meaningful language access in schools in the U.S. So, I hope you come and support the topics, come and support the hosting organizations, and most importantly, because I need it the most, come and support yours truly. But enough about September's events. On to what you're here for. Dr. Regina Galasso holds a BA from Rutgers University, a MA from Middlebury College, and a PhD from the John Hopkins University. She is Associate Professor in the Spanish and Portuguese Studies Program and Director of the Translation Center at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. I very much am looking forward to sharing this very resourceful episode with you and for you to learn more about Dr. Regina Galasso and her work with the Translation Center at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. So, without further ado, here's Dr. Regina Galasso. Regina, welcome. I am extremely excited to finally have the opportunity to sit and talk to you today. How are you? <laughs> Great. Thanks, Mireya. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to finally be here too. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. It's been a long time that I've 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 wanted to reach out and and uh welcome you to the show. 
and uh, just be able to have a little conversation about you, of course, but also about the great things that the University of Massachusetts Amherst is doing um, in the translation studies. So um, I'm excited and very grateful that you're here. Let's go ahead and get started with a question that I ask all of the guests when uh, they are here on the show, which is tell us a little bit about yourself growing up. Um, Specifically, I'm interested in knowing what did you aspire to be when you grew up? Okay. Um, Something that that stands out about growing up is that um, as a child, I was lucky to spend a lot of time with my grandparents. and. I was always fascinated by the fact that their parents, so my great-grandparents, were all born in other countries and spoke other languages and took a boat to get to New York City. And I was always trying to get it straight, like where each great-grandparent was from. And even though these were just my great-grandparents, they seemed like so far from me because nobody in in my house um, was really speaking other languages. Um, and sometimes I remember as a kid with, with other kids, we had fun on the playground, like asking each other, Hey, where are you from? And by that we meant like, where are your ancestors from? And I would say I was Ukrainian, Hungarian, Danish, and Italian. Um, and while that seemed like, like so much, um, to me to have grandpa or great grandparents from so many places. I remember thinking a lot about how for my grandparents, it wasn't really that complicated because one side of my family was Italian and my maternal grandmother was all Ukrainian. And my grandfather's mother was from Hungary and his father was from Denmark. So all of this just seems like so straightforward um, for them, but to me, it was so complicated to get right. Um, <laughs> and then I also just remember like spending a lot of time thinking about how how my grandparents' daily life um, was was in other languages and languages other than English. And I would just try to imagine like how did the Italian sound in my grandmother's home and and what did Ukrainian sound like? How did my Hungarian great-grandmother communicate with her Danish husband? Um, and, you know, I didn't hear my grandparents speaking these languages. Um, and, you know, sometimes like we would talk about it, but I didn't really come to any big con- con- um, conclusions about their situation. Um, <laughs> and so, but, you know, now, like when I reflect on this situation, I realize that all of this kind of introduced me to an awareness of, of translation. I feel like sometimes when we ask translators or interpreters, you know, how did you learn the languages you know? Um, we, we ask them that a lot, but we never ask, like, when did you first start thinking about translation or first start thinking about interpreting? Mm-hmm. So I kind of like to think back to, to this fascination with my grandparents and the languages they, they didn't speak or... Um, or that I wanted to speak, but right. down to me, I think like um, that this really opened up an awareness of translation. Um, for sure. For and, sure. Um, and, and that was, you know, kind of, kind of cool. Um, Very cool, actually, because that's so many, you know, like there's just this, this, this entire mix. And, and for you at such a young age for, to already be thinking, um, you know, and trying to decipher like what, what did that look like for them? You know, like without even necessarily hearing the languages, but just being aware that there were other languages and what that might've been like. I mean, in your, in your own little mind, you were already thinking in a way, right. Was translation needed? Was interpreting needed? Like how do they communicate with each other? So I think that most definitely sounds like there was a seed there planted at a very young age. If, if anything, at least the seed seed of curiosity, Regina, where did you grow up? In New Jersey. New Jersey. And you were there your whole childhood, your whole life? um, I was there. Yeah, I was born in New Jersey and pretty much there um, until I graduated from from Rutgers University, which is in in New Jersey. Um, You don't have a an accent like is that not a thing anymore? Did you grow out of it or I I feel like I have to say like uh, people (laughs) from New Jersey have a quote unquote accent, but you you don't. (laughs) It it comes back with with some with some (laughs) keywords. Um, Ah. 
<laughs> or once you're there. <laughs> yeah. Once if I, after I get off the phone with my mother, um, <laughs> I'll have a New Jersey accent. Um, I love it. Share with yeah. us, Regina, what a fond childhood memory of you growing up in New Jersey was or is. Um, well, I just want to connect it a lot to, yeah, to my, my grandparents. Again, they were super um, special in my life and probably just hanging out with them after school and um, listening to music and helping them clean. They had all kinds of ways um, to trick me in, into cleaning, you know, <laughs> that we were playing emergency room and the vacuum was like the blood sucking machine. It was very strange, but um, wow. my in, in New Jersey, what's when I was growing up was really cool was that there are so many different um, variations of Spanish um, spoken in New Jersey. And my grandfather really wanted to learn Spanish. So he um, kind of helped me do that. And he would play records to learn Spanish and listen to the music of Xavier Cugat. Um, and it was a lot of fun. So um, really? I think that all kind of fueled my interest in languages and in Spanish. Um, I love that. I got that to the university. I majored in Spanish. You ended up majoring later. So, so tell us then you, you, you start, you know, you're in school at one point in your schooling career, did you decide that you wanted to head towards uh, the language profession or at least at the very least uh, delve into languages? I think it it was at, at Rutgers. Um, Rutgers university has a really strong Spanish program. Um, and I, I took, I, I just seemed like I would I would major in Spanish. There were Spanish speakers from all over the world there. Um, the classes, the offering of classes was very rich. Um, and, and and it was just great fun. I mean, I felt like Spanish was is such a big part of of being from New Jersey or at least where I was from, yeah. um, that I just felt, I mean, I need to speak Spanish because I, I need to have fun um, and communicate with all these people around me. And then just looking at the map thinking, well, wow, if I speak Spanish, I can go to all these places um, and, 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 you know, make it on my own there. <laughs> yeah. You were, I feel like you were drawn into it. Um, thanks to the help also of, of your grandfather, right. That was also curious and interested in that and was, you know, um, playing these different records, uh, so that you could listen to them and kind of, you know, just be intrigued. I think there's, there's an aspect of that as well, which, which I find so beautiful, um, because sometimes such as you were just sharing, I really love that story, uh, to, to, to help you clean, right. Um, did think that you're in the hospital and the vacuum. I love that. That's so cute. I mean, so little things like that, that, you know, your grandparents are influencing in you without maybe not necessarily a defined intention, but just simply to expose you to different things, which I just think is so great. That's, that's such a great story. Thanks for sharing it. Regina, so you get into Spanish classes until you're at the university. Share with us what that experience was like. So now you're in, you say, this is what I want to take these classes. What was that like for you uh, going into these courses? Share a little bit about, you mentioned that they're very, it's a very rich program. So what about it did you like so much? Um, I really liked how the, the, the professors were excellent. Um, my classmates, they were from all over New Jersey, all over the world. Um, and there's also a strong um, translation and interpreting program at Rutgers. Um, so I was able to take those classes during my senior year. Um, and that's kind of unusual for, well, when I was in college, um, I think it was unusual to be able to take classes in translation and interpreting because in the U S there are, I think right now there's just one university where you can major in translation as an undergraduate. Mm. And then beyond that, we have no departments of translation and interpreting. Yeah. Um, so if you're an undergraduate and this is what you, you want to do and study, it's, 
it's hard to find out where, where to go to do that. I mean, you can go to language departments and take classes here and there or get a certificate, but there's there's no major and there are no departments. So um, I'm definitely thankful to, to Rutgers for providing me with that. Um, but also I was fortunate to um, spend a year in, in Spain at the University of Valencia, um, you know, taking classes at the university there. And um, that was <laughs> kind of interesting because you know, Rutgers and professors prepared me, you know, very well for going to Spain, but no one really mentioned that if I didn't pay careful attention before registering for classes at the university, that the classes could be in Catalan. So, um, oh no, <laughs> somebody else has mentioned that. Oh, do tell. So what happened? So basically, so, you know, so I register for an art history class. Um, I didn't, I didn't pay much attention and, and I would, I kept going to class and the professor never showed up. And then he showed up the fourth week of class and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm here because the other professor had a baby. So I'm going to be taking over. And that's why I was late, but he was, you know, this was all in Catalan, but while, so it was basically by, you know, the fourth week in the semester, it was too late to find another class. Um, but while I was waiting for him to show up, you know, for all those four weeks, I would still go to the classroom and I was able to make some friends who, who spoke Catalan. Um, and then, you know, but for me, it was kind of like thinking back to this now, it was like, there I was again in in the presence of a language that like, that wasn't part of me yet, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's kind of like, I was thinking how, how I felt with my grandparents that there was like this presence of the absence of all of these languages yeah. um, in our lives. And then that kind of came back to me again um, when I was a, a young student in Valencia. Um, <laughs> Did you, were you the only student that made that mistake? And were, were you the only student there that, that uh, didn't speak, speak Catalan or were there others of you? Um, well, I think, well, this is one of the great things about the Rutgers program at the time. Um, I'm not sure if it's changed since, but, but um, it was a year long program. And I think there were only nine of us from Rutgers who wanted to do this because I think most of the U.S. students were like, oh, a year is a long time to spend abroad. <laughs> um, so there were only nine of us and we, you know, directly like matriculated into the courses at the University of Valencia. So um, none of the other students from the U.S. did this, but me. Um, <laughs> and then the students who are from Valencia are are used to this. And even if they're not like actively speaking Catalan, they, they understand it just because they they've lived in the presence of these two languages their oh, whole entire wow. life. So, but, they but they do it on purpose me. now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Expose okay. them to this other language. <laughs> yeah. But Full then, immersion. You know, eventually I, I learned it. Um, I learned it informally over the years and then I finally had the opportunity to take a, a free intensive Catalan class in Barcelona. Um, oh, wow. So, so now I, I think I speak it um, quite <laughs> well. Um, I always love the fact that, you know, um, this is why at, at moments like, like such as yours, you know, we can either take that as, hmm, you know, uh, just be curious about, I wonder why this moment happened to me. There might be something to it later on or yeah. completely panic and say, this is disastrous. You know, like I regret this, but thanks to that opportunity, once again, just like you mentioned, there is a seed of, you know, interest, a seed of curiosity, which later on, you know, leads you to uh, digging more into it and investigating a little bit more and just being exposed to that, which I think there's, there's, just this beauty of, of, you know, growth there, you know, I keep talking, talking about uh, seeds <laughs> and planting. Um, but I, I really love how your story just keeps developing into this. You're intrigued, you're, you're, you're intrigued by your curiosity. And, um, you know, you, you push forward, even though you're, you're quite unsure, right? But I, I really, I really do love that. You mentioned real quick earlier, Regina, that 
you eventually got into the world of translation. So you're in your program um, at Rutgers University and you take these courses. What did you like more about translation than about interpreting, you think? Oh, that I walked out of every interpreting class with with a headache. <laughs> um, that was, it was really hard, really, really hard. And after every class, I I had a headache. Um, so 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 that definitely helped me make make the decision. Um, I think it, it, translation and just like a, a love of literature um, and the the written word. I mean, that's what really turned me on to translation, and that. It gave us um, like thinking through translation gives you time um, if you're a student, if maybe if you're a professional, it's, it's, it's different, but gives you the time to really think about language and how it works and um, what each word means and in which context what it means. Um, and then for the study of literature that that really, really helps because, you know, you, you just get such a, a closer reading of a text. Yeah, I love that. When you are done with your studies and you are done with your experience out in, uh, in Valencia, out in Spain, when did you start professionally diving into the world of translation? Do you recall that it, that very first moment when you're like, I can get paid to do this and I enjoy it? Do you remember? Let's see. Um, it really didn't happen until I I was in graduate school, and um, and I translate literature, so that's also um, you don't really get paid very much to translate literature, um, or there are few people in the world who I think, or at least in the in the United States, I should say, who can make a living. Um, as a, as a full-time translator without having to depend on other sources of income. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, you know, in the U.S. context, it, it's hard to plan to be a literary translator um, because, as I mentioned before, there's there's not really like a university program you, you can go to that, that will train you to do that. Um, most of the people I know who, who translate literature, they, they got into it because they were kind of in the right place at the right time. Maybe they were studying literature, um, literature in a language other than English at a U.S. university. They spoke English well, wrote English well. They met a writer from, from a language they were studying. And somehow the idea emerged that that, that person should translate um, that writer's work. So in, in my case, I was um, in my first years as a doctoral student, and I went to Havana with my university, and I was introduced to the writer Miguel Barnett. Um, and I shared with him that, that my research focused on Spanish language literature in New York and the role of New York in Spanish language literature. And he said, oh, you must read my book, La Vida Real. Um, which is about a character who was born in the Cuban countryside and and his journey to and his life in New York City. So I read it. And then soon after, I started translating the book. And I was doing the translation as um, a break from, from my study of all the literary texts I needed to know for my, my comprehensive exams. Um, so I worked on that for maybe like four or five years. And then that was my first um, big literary translation project. And then with other authors I, I translate, it, it kind of worked the same way um, with Alicia Borinsky, who is from Argentina and a professor at Boston University. You know, she was a visiting professor at, um, at the Johns Hopkins University where I was going to graduate school and then a mentorship and a collaboration emerged and I started translating her work. Um, so I think for most professors who, who also translate literature, um, that's, that's kind of their story. Um, they either like they fell in love with the text or they met a writer or for, for whatever reason, they, they really feel that, um, that a text needs to be made available in English and, and then they do it. 
Yeah, that's such a great story. How you know it? It just it it kind of falls on on your lap, but I also feel like it it's um it's part of your journey, right? So you go out to Havana, and this is where you meet uh, Miguel Barnett, and 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 everything just just sort of unfolds. How did things turn out differently um, from what you thought things were going to turn out? Um, did you let share with us what you currently do, Regina? Oh, okay. So I work at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and I am an associate professor. So I'm a professor with tenure in the Spanish and Portuguese Studies program, and I also direct the translation center. Which is so amazing because I I just feel like you know you are you ended up with a, a PhD, correct? Yes. And and so you're an associate professor um, at uh, UMass Amherst and also the director of Translation Center. And I this is one of the main reasons why I really wanted to connect because of all the great things that you guys are doing there. So talk to us just briefly about how you started in this role. Um, you know, once was it immediately after you were done with schooling or how did that come about? Let's see. Um, let's back up to, and I, I, it won't be long. Um, when I finished my, my PhD at the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, I was, I was on the job market and the academic job market for tenure track jobs is, is very, very competitive. And a lot of professors would say to me, um, you know, you're really going to have to go where, wherever you get a job. And I mean, that's just not something particular to me, but to, to everyone. Um, who's going into academia. But I, of course, just wanted to to go to New York City um, and have a job there. So I I did. I ended up getting a job at the Borough of Manhattan Community College, which is part of the City University of New York. And and there I was. Um, The campus was located in Lower Manhattan and, you know, right where it all started. And and it was an amazing job and I loved it so much. but three years later, um, this I, I just my professional goals shifted a little, and I wanted to be somewhere where translation could be a larger part of what I did ac- across the board. Um, because as I, as I mentioned, you know, not having so many structured ways to study translation yeah. at U.S. universities, it's you, you really need to be aware of translation from. I guess an early age or early age in your academic career mm-hmm. or, or um, yeah, I guess we could say your academic career in order to, to have it be part of that career. So um, I guess after three years of being a professor at the city of university of New York, um, I realized I wanted translation to be a larger part of what I did. Um, and mostly at the city university of New York, I was teaching Spanish language and literature classes. So um, this opportunity opened up at at UMass Amherst and I was um, presented with this job offer. And that was very exciting to me because of the university's translation center. Um, Okay, yeah. It it was the professor job that was the associate professor, excuse me, um, role that, okay. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, well, actually, when I entered UMass, I was an assistant professor. So assistant professor is is usually someone who does not yet have tenure. And then you have a certain period of time um, in order to do all the things that will help you get tenure. Oh, okay, got it. So yes, I entered UMass Amherst as, as, as a professor. And then um, maybe... After five years there, I was offered the the, the role of um, director of the translation center. How did that come about? Was that something that, you know, you were a part of once you were there? Were you somehow involved in the center's uh, efforts or what was that like for you? Because, you know, you always had that kind of target of translation, right? In your heart, you were still like, I'd like to be more involved with translation, as you said earlier. And it just so happens that the University of, of uh, Massachusetts Amherst has uh, a specific center for that. Did you get involved um, somehow or how does that work once you're internally? Yep. Um, 
So one of my colleagues, um, Edwin Gensler, he was also a professor and he directed the Translation Center for many, many years and really um, developed it and, and helped the center get the international reputation that it has. Um, and then he was, he stepped down because he was getting ready for retirement. And then it was time for, for someone new to direct the center. Um, and I think it's just because of, of credentials, because I'm a, a practicing translator, as well as a professor who teaches classes on translation. Um, and I just like to think that it was also, you know, because of a, a positive track record with the the administration at UMass that, that I was offered um, the position. I love that. I just love like, you know, that the, the, the way things line up, um, you know, but I also am very well aware that it may sound like the road is always linear. I've mentioned here on a few occasions um, that it sounds that way, but in all actuality, there's just all kinds of bumps and hiccups along the way. And I'm curious to know, uh, Regina, before we get into the specifics of what uh, the amazing program, the director of translation, uh, excuse me, the um, uh, department of translation is doing at the university, Let's talk about what you consider has been your biggest challenge in your career. What would you say has been something that, you know, you've, you've felt it has been challenging, but at the same time, you know, an experience that has helped you grow or learn? Well, actually, I feel all challenges do that, right? But sometimes there is yeah. that one that says, you know, if it weren't because of this specific challenge, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Do you recall what that would be for you professionally? Well, in academia, it's, it's you know, you have the probation period of, of being an assistant professor and, and before you're evaluated for tenure. So for, for most people, that time of being an assistant professor and doing all you have to do um, to earn tenure which at a place like UMass Amherst um, means you have to have a really good teaching record um, with your undergraduate and graduate classes. You have to have a solid and very competitive um, research and publishing record, and you have to do service to the university. So there are those three components. And for most people, those years are also the years when if you want to have a family, you're 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 working on 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 having a family. So um, while I was on the tenure track, I, um, I I had to really finish my book. So at UMass and some other um, similar universities in the same category, you need to have a solely authored book in order to get tenure. I mean, it's pretty much known. Like if you don't have that. Um, you, you might not get tenure. Um, so I had to finish my monograph and I had a, um, I had an infant, an infant who, who wouldn't sleep for long periods of time. Ooh, so yeah. I was writing the, the book and I had her like in, in the, um, in the carrier and I had like the laptop on the kitchen counter because I couldn't sit down because I had to keep moving or else she'd wake up. So it was just like, you know, the baby in the carrier attached to me trying to finish the monograph, um, not sleeping, doing all kinds of things to get it done. Um, but then I, I got it done and I, I submitted the, the manuscript for an award that one of the professional organizations um, in my field offered. And then, and I just like, I totally forgot about that because, because I had an infant and I had a, a preschooler. So I, I really kind of um, blanked on, on the day-to-day -day stuff. And then maybe 10, 12 months later, I get an envelope in the mail. And, you know, I thought it was just like an envelope asking for donations, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, so many, so much of what we receive comes through email that I didn't really think that something would come 
in the mail that was important that that I hadn't heard about previously in an email. So it was like a Friday afternoon and I get home with, with my two daughters and I open this envelope. Hey, before we continue, let me tell you a little bit about the HLS Education Terms Online Glossary. The HLS Education Terms Online Glossary provides easy access to the Spanish translation of educational terms. No more shuffling through countless glossaries. The HLS Network of Language Consultants comprises a veteran district and county office of education translators that have an in-depth knowledge of K-12 terminology. Translators will have access to terms, acronyms, and phrases related to special education, English language learner programs, parent advisory committees, medical and legal vocabulary, academic subject-specific terms, and so much more. In addition, this live glossary allows users to request new terms and tag favorites. Using the HLS Education Terms online glossary will increase your translation speed, accuracy, and vocabulary consistency. Try a free 30-day trial today by visiting www.hlsglossary.com. And I had won the book award. And I was like jumping up and down, like screaming. My daughters were like, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? You know, what's going on? Um, Mom's finally lost it. Yeah, mom, mom is done. Okay. Um, and so then I, I think I was screaming like, oh my God, I won, I won, I won. And that was like a huge challenge to get that, that book done. And then it was just so amazing to, to win the award. And then later on, we got to go to the award um, ceremony, which was, you know, during the conference. Um, and my older daughter got to come and, and see me receive the award. Oh, wow. Um, so that, that, I mean, what, what, what did, I mean, that kind of taught me that any, anything is possible, I guess. Um, you know, if you just yeah. keep working at it, um, but in a really competitive profession, I mean, that just taught me like, you, you can do this, you know? Yeah. And, and then there are many other challenges too, you know, but you know, every day there, there are challenges. I have to interact with a lot of different people um, as a professor and also as the director of the translation center, which is kind of a a public facing place. So, you know, every day there are highs and lows every week, every month. Um, Yeah. I think that, that, um, you know, the challenges I think in you, like, just like you mentioned, you've got, um, you know, your smaller daily challenges that are um, a part of, of the profession itself. But then there's those personal challenges that, um, to help to to define or create who we are. And um, that was a great story, Regina, of just tenacity and grit and determination because it's it's something you really believed in and it's something that you loved. And um, you know, not to say that those that choose to to focus on um you know, the, the, the motherhood or that, that choose to pause is a bad thing. I, you know, I'm not saying one way or the other. I think it's a very personal journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but in your case, you know, pushing forward in spite of the difficulty and I mean, come on to get something in the mail at knowing that it was like, you were just probably thinking like, gosh, if only, if only, you know, I could have focused more or whatever that what was going through your mind. And then to see that envelope come through, I mean, I feel the joy and it wasn't even me there. So <laughs> I think that's such a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Let's get into what you're currently doing with the University of uh, Massachusetts Amherst. Specifically, I'm interested in your role as Director of Translation Center. And I say that because uh, while I do appreciate very much your, you know, associate professor role there, that you worked extremely hard to be able to get into, in spite of the uh, different uh, variation of challenges, the Director of Translation Center is a very unique, as we just talked about, 
um, in terms of the program itself, in terms of the role itself, and a center in the university. And you guys are doing very many great things. One in particular that I'm very highly interested in, which is, um, you know, really pushing forward the professionalization of the language professional in schools. Um, and I know that you guys offer, uh, you know, just different types of trainings and um, one program in particular that I can't wait till you for you to dive into here. But talk to us about the role and talk to us about the Translation Center, if you would, please. Sure. So the Translation Center was founded in 1979 by two professors in comparative literature who really just wanted to provide people in Western Massachusetts with, with language services and they mostly used um, faculty at UMass to provide those services. And then um, the center grew over the years, mostly under the directorship of, of Professor Edwin Gensler. And now we offer services in, I mean, we like to say 80 languages, but there's there's really there's really no number. I mean, we have a large international community. We have many professors in, who are in contact with the center and those professors belong to professional organizations. We're a research university. So, you know, if someone comes to us and, and says, I need a translation in a certain language, well, I mean, like we know, we know how to do the research to get to the right sources or resources in that language. So we we provide you know um, translation services to all kinds of clients from everywhere, all over the world, and then we also so we have a project management team that that does that, and then at the same time we're also a hub for all the translation activity that is happening at the University of Massachusetts and the surrounding colleges. So the, the other colleges that are in our area are, are um, Amherst College, Smith College, Mount Holyoke, and Hampshire College. So there are five colleges up here in, in this small area. And if we look at the faculty at at the colleges who translate or write about translation and interpreting, there's like over 75. And then there are a bunch of people who live in the community who also translate and interpret. So it's um, a community that, that knows a lot about translation and interpreting. So the center, the translation center kind of acts as a hub to bring all of that activity together and to, to promote it, to promote publications, to promote projects. And, and all of those kinds of things. Um, and then we work with, with all kinds of clients and then we have um, contractors and we work with undergraduate students. They're often um, assisting the project managers or working with me on special projects. I mean, it's, it's very rare that an undergraduate will, will translate for us because they just don't have the skills yet um, or the experience. And then we also have graduate students who work with us. So there's a lot going on. Um, I mean, it's really fascinating because of all the things that the center juggles. Um, you know, we have like scholarship and the practice of translation, literary and non-literary text, the translators, interpreters, the university, the extramural community. Um, you know, there's like these everyday essential projects um, combined with, with the workshops and the larger programs and outreach work that, um, you know, take more time and planning to, to get through. Yeah. And I think what I really love about everything that you just explained is um, it, there's the fact that yes, it's a hub for the work, but it also feels like there's a hub for um, the mentorship, which is something that uh, for many of us that go through any translation or interpreting studies is almost like a missing link it, during the journey, right? Um, you know, we we have the professors, of course, that are present, but you know, with everything that they're doing and and everything that's going on, um, it's it's not exactly something that you necessarily tap into per se. But with all the connections that you guys have and all the different 
um, services that are being offered and, and the community, like you said, of, of people that have come together to create this hub, I feel like the ability to find a mentor there, um, it would be much easier in comparison to maybe other programs that don't have that same dynamic, would you say? Yeah, and I'm, I'm so happy that you mentioned that because I was just talking to one of these other neighboring colleges um, the other day, and, and they want to provide more translation opportunities for their students, but but you know, in collaboration with, with the center. I mean, I think people like right away go to like, well, the students can translate for the organizations who can't pay for the, the translations. And they don't realize that, I mean, that all good intentions are behind that. But I mean, undergrads, it, it's rare that they can deliver the quality that, that they need to. Um, so, but one of our, our ideas was, was to have this, like a, a formal mentorship program. Cause right now I think it's just, it's happening informally and it's mostly happening um, with our two project managers working with like the work study students or the graduate students. Um, and it, it's a lot on them because in addition to students who come in to work regular office hours, um, it could also mean that they're working with some of the graduate students who, who we hire to, to be and and train to be um, interpreters. So, so what you just said is kind of giving me the push um, for that program with our neighboring college to to do the mentorship program. And of course, I want the translators and interpreters participating in that to to get compensated for their work. Um, yeah, and, and sometimes that's the, the tricky part is, you know, who, who has the money to, to, um, to pay people to oversee these programs. Oh yeah. That's always, uh, the, the number one question, <laughs> there's, yeah. particularly when it comes to, um, our local education agencies, it's, that's, mm-hmm. that's the number one question, but, you know, um, in terms of of the mentorship program itself, I think that um, that's that's definitely something that is very very unique. That it almost feels like, you know, even though it's not, um, it's kind of like a byproduct of everything that's happening that's already going on, right? That the yeah. translation center is already doing. But um, just like we just talked about it being a hub, why not a hub for mentorship as well? Because it just it feels like I know where to go to or who to connect with in order to X, Y, and Z. Um, yeah. So that's that's a great opportunity. And you talked also about the interpreting aspect. What are you guys doing for interpreters that? I mean, I know, but let's share with the audience the the amazing program that you currently have for interpreters. Please do share. The one with um, interpreters in education, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of them, but (laughs) that one's... Yeah, no, no, that's where the focus has has been since the fall of, of 2018. So we've developed a workshop series called the Interpreter and Translator in Education Workshop Series, and it first started out as as a six part series, and then it um, it grew to an eight part series. Um, but at the same time, it can also be customized depending on you know the needs and and the budget of of a district. So we've mostly been um, offering this series to individual districts. Um, or, or schools, but there's been like a couple of times when we just, um, you know, put the series out there and had anyone who wanted to sign up. Um, and what the series does is it provides, I, I would say, light training and an introduction to what interpreting and translation is, mostly to bilingual school employees. So these are people who are already working in the schools. The school has said they're bilingual. Um, Sometimes they've been assessed for that. Sometimes they haven't. Um, So they're already like offering these services, but in most cases, the people have never been formally trained at all. So um, we're giving them this introduction 
to what this is all about, giving them skills, giving them, you know, a network um, of, of other professionals to work with. Um, and, and what else? I mean, there are so many <laughs> components to it. Um, we also are trying to help the districts by um, offering a language assessment to the individuals who sign up for the workshop series. And, and the assessment is really helping the districts to say, this person should develop interpreting skills and this person should develop translation skills. Um, because as, as we know, you know, most of the times in schools, the bilingual individual is asked to be the translator and the interpreter. And, and that's, that's really hard to do. Oh, so yeah. they, I think you know, they hard recognize as two separate skills. So yeah. you know, we're, we're like gently trying to tell the districts, like, look, you know, this person has the writing skills. So, you know, let's have them focus on, on translation and the other people should develop interpreting skills. Um, so each workshop is is led by um, either a faculty member from the University of Massachusetts um, or just a, a skilled professional um, who has like a, a profile that I think will work well for a district. Um, but, you know, we're learning a lot as we go and, and the series kind of transforms with every um, edition of it. Like before it was, it was just for the participants um, who were performing this work in the school districts. Mm. But now we've um, incorporated a workshop where the participants can really bring anyone from, from their district to the first workshop. And in that workshop, we, we kind of cover, you know, just, just basically like interpreting and translation 101. I mean, you know, what, what are these things? What is it? How do you work with an interpreter? What's, um, what's the best practice for, for requesting a translation at your school? So, you know, we're trying to really um, make sure that if districts are, are sponsoring their employees to take the workshop series, that there's also other members in their district, on their teams, who, who know what this work is all about. Um, wow, that's incredible, Regina. Now, you may not be able to say it, but I am definitely going to say it because that this is key, you know, and I think it's so important. It It's for anyone out there that's putting together such programs. I think I, I think. <laughs> it should be a requirement for um, the administrator or the person in charge of TNI services in that school district to be a part of class one. And that that what you just said, how to work with an interpreter, or the best practices for working with an interpreter is so huge because, you know, we will give our bilingual uh, school employees the tools to be able to manage perhaps the session or be able to, you know, um, feel more confident about the interpreting aspect of, of their role. But if the people that they are working with don't understand the difference between interpreting and translation or don't understand the role itself, then it could still become quite a challenge. And it's a whole other set of, of um, tools that one needs in order to be able to have or open that communication up between the staff member and the employee. So it's a whole different aspect. But the fact that you guys are opening it up and saying, Hey, you know, part of it should be that, you know, someone from the school district comes in and also gets you know, the very first part. And it's, it's super important. We've had a couple of, of um, administrators that took part of trainings, you know, like you said, like a very intro to um, community interpreting and it just hearing their feedback and opening it up, uh, you know, just being able to expose them to what this really is. And then hearing them say, in, in, you know, during the, the uh, course, uh, I never, knew that. Like, this has opened my eyes so much. I cannot believe all this time I didn't know any of this. And yet the expectation for the bilingual employee was, you know, through the roof really is what it yeah. was. And so being able to give them just that basic 
level of understanding of just the role. I mean, this is really what you're putting your bilingual staff through when you are asking them for a very quick, quote unquote, translation. (laughs) Could you quickly Uh translate, um, you know, or I need you to interpret during this particular meeting that we as trained interpreters and in the profession know it's 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 not as simple as people like to maybe make them out to be. I also like the fact that you said that you like to gently let the school districts know <laughs> about the information. Like, I think that's so nice. But that for us, it's kind of been like, how, how are we louder about the fact that this is something that is so much needed um, in our school districts and that our bilingual staff are really, you know, our dual role bilingual staff um, are really navigating through the waters completely on their own. So I admire very much and I appreciate very much what the university is doing, uh, Translation Center specifically, uh, in just being able to bring this out to the school districts and bilingual staff and um, make it a part of something that, you know, is is part of the the, the schooling process, you know, and um, in the staff itself, because Staff is the ambassadors, really, of of whether it's the school or the school district and being able to have your bilingual staff member have the basic tools in order to feel confident about what they're doing. I think it's it it may not sound like much, but when when your boots on the ground, it's very much a lifesaver. So um, I appreciate the program so very much. What else is the Translation Center doing, uh, Regina, in terms of programs? Because you guys do so much. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I just I just want to make sure we acknowledge, though, that the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education in Massachusetts, I mean, they're the ones who have sponsored um, this workshop series. Um, and I think that they have intentions to, to continue and to expand it to another workshop series. Um, so they're the ones supporting all of this. Um, so so we're, we're, lo- we're looking again? into that. Was that? What was that? Well, I'm sorry. What was their title again? Um, it's called the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Awesome. Thank this you. This is like the Massachusetts Department of Education. And I mean, they're they're the ones who who sponsored over 120 bilingual um, staff to take the workshop series um, this past academic year. And then we're doing the same thing again in the upcoming academic year. And then there are also some districts in in Massachusetts who have invested in this on on their own and have taken this out of their their own budget to train the individuals. Um, I'm also considering um, as part of, you know, future near future work for the translation center is saying, you know, that you districts can have this series, but then you also have to tell us and we'll, we'll, if you pay us, we, we will do it for you. But we also need to know what the professional development opportunities will be because this, this is not enough. I mean, this, this is an intro. Right. Um, so, so that's, as you know, just an important piece. So that's one of the things I'm, I'm working on too at the center is, is just how to make the districts, um, you know, just be louder <laughs> when I was gentle before, but then, then to become louder about how how you, the investment only goes so far if you don't provide professional development opportunities. Yeah, um, continued professional development opportunities. That is so important. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's, that's been a huge piece of, of what we're doing. Um, we're also going to be welcoming more members, um, to the team at the translation center. So I'm excited to see, um, who we get and and how that will transform things. Um, I'd like to, to revamp the, the interpreting branch of, of what we do, um, because now that, you know, um, virtual interpreting um is much more widespread i think we, we have more opportunities and i i'd like to see how the translation center can um participate in those opportunities so we need to to pay a little bit more attention there to to the interpreting branch um another exciting thing is that we we have visiting scholars and we'll have a visiting scholar from from spain with us in the fall 
Um, you know, it's just so exciting to see like the the daily projects that that come our way. Um, I'd like for us to develop some kind of program that brings uh, literature in translation to young people in kindergarten through 12th grade. So, you know, I feel like I've spent a lot of time since the fall of of 2018 getting to know school staff. Um, And I often like to think about like the secondary roles of the school interpreters and translators and, you know, make them more visible and professionalize more what they're doing because these are professions for for the young people in the schools yeah Um, oh my gosh so um so but just going back to to kind of literature in translation um is is to bring literature in translation to to the k through 12 classrooms via some kind of program you know, I think like we, we talk a lot about language access and, and that just means like families getting the info that, that they need to be part of their their students' community. But um, I also like want to bring other members of the community into it too by giving them kind of access to language. I mean, in in many parts of the U.S., you can't really take a language other than English until... <laughs> until a later grade, right? Um, so I wanna think about ways of doing that through through translation and through literature in translation with some kind of workshop series for K through 12 students where, you know, where they, they, they know about language access as a need and something everyone in the community needs to kind of, needs to support and needs to make part of everyone's work, but then also, giving the students just access to language. And then that, I think, can kind of start a greater awareness about translation and, and how how transformative it can be for a community. So. Wow, Regina. So I, I, I go next. <laughs> yeah, no, this is all such great stuff. And it's so funny to see how and how appropriate to uh, for this platform that uh, with the with the a combination of words, just putting them, changing up their formatting or their sequence completely changes the meaning. Access Mm -hmm. to language. I love that because it reminded me of um, a prior episode sometime back, uh, way in the beginning of um, the life of this podcast, Hugo Miranda, which does um, localization for video games started um, going into K through 12 schools to expose the possibility to y- very young people about localization in video games, right? Combining the two things, which is language for, for um, the bilingual individual. I think he was working with school districts for um, through their biliteracy program or maybe even their Spanish, you know, the Spanish, like the higher up and beginning in middle school. And he was talking mm-hmm. about how excited he was because he gets to go into, you know, the, the, the schools, the classrooms and talk about something that is not uh, spoken about that often, which is the career aspect of this. Like, what do I do with this? You know, so, okay, I'm taking yeah. my Spanish class or my French class, or what are the possibilities other than just visiting uh, the country and being able to use that. And um, so when we, when we see, you know, the, the opportunity for career week um, in the middle schools that have maybe even um, whether or not they have it, but I'm thinking about the um, IB programs, right. When they uh, world languages and they talk about that. I know in our school district, they like to invite the translation interpreting team during career career week so that we can um, expose the, the opportunities of careers and languages. So I love that you're thinking that route access to language. That's, that's, that's perfect. That's great. And in K through 12 schools, so very much needed. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't wait <laughs> to, to, to start it and see um, what we can do with it. Yeah. My goodness, Regina, this, I mean, we can always, as, as, as I always uh, mention on here that I, I can go on forever, but I, I do know that we're getting to the end of our um, show here of our time. But before we go, um, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners on this platform? 
Um, just ways ways to to connect um, the translation center. I mean, we're we're always looking to expand our roster of of translators and interpreters. Um, so people should definitely feel free to to reach out to us. Um, the email is is translate at umass.edu, or people can contact me directly at rgalasso at umass.edu. Um, also, um, we're in a unique position, I think, through the workshop series and sponsorship from the state to um, to shape this, to shape what what the training and and this opportunity looks like for the bilingual school employees. So, if anyone has like great ideas on on what the workshop absolutely like must have um, or wants to be a guest at one of the workshops, please, please contact me. Um, and, and yeah. And if anyone's interested or wants to hear about, hear more about anything I said about the, the literature in translation in schools too, um, I, I would be so happy to hear, to hear about, to hear from you. I love it. I think that, you know, I know that I was looking very much forward to this conversation for a reason. You guys are doing incredible things. Regina, you are doing incredible things. And I am so happy that you are here with us today. And I really do hope that um, you make further connections uh, after your episode um, is out live and that it only increases because I think that that's, you know, really what we need is to make connections in order uh, to brand the the role of the interpreter and translator out there. And, um, you know, we can only do that if we're working together in my point of view. So I'm so happy that you were here today. I'm so happy for this conversation and um, we will be in touch. Yeah, thank you. And thank you so much for having Brand the Interpreter. Um, I have reached out to several people you've had on, on the podcast be, before me. And um, the connections have been like just so educational and productive and inspiring. So thank you for someone like me who's in Western Massachusetts um, and doing this work that the podcast and being able to hear from others around the country means means a lot. That does mean a lot to me too. Thank you so much, Regina. Take care. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the very end. If you'd like to connect with me, head on over to the website, brandtheinterpreter.com and click on the connect with me tab. You can also stay connected on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Brand the Interpreter or Mireya Perez on LinkedIn. Till next time.